Climbing to the top of the fence and camping out is just fine. Stalling in the doorway is just the same as standing in the room. Let's inch to the edge of the board and just gaze at the view. That makes sense. Taking another step would mean living for others. Jumping in would mean adopting the attitude of Christ. It's safer to sit on the board instead. The fence is the most comfortable seat in the yard. Right? But you can't stay there. God doesn't waver, so neither do we. Enter the room or keep walking. Hop the fence or stick with safety. Dive into the depths or retreat to dry ground. Are you in or out? Well, I'm so glad that you made it today, and I'm thankful for those watching on the stream and on TV as well. We're thankful that you are a part of the Sagebrush family. Let's find out if we are in or we are out. There was a very optimistic farmer who lived next door to a pessimistic farmer. The optimistic farmer would come outside when it was sunny. He'd say, oh, it's a beautiful day. The sun's shining. The birds are singing. Isn't it just wonderful, the sunshine we have today? And pessimistic farmer would say, yeah, but if it keeps burning up like this, it's going to burn up all the crops. On the days that it would rain, the optimistic farmer would go outside and say, oh, isn't it wonderful? God is so good to us, giving all of our corn just a nice drink of water. Isn't this nice? These are blessings from heaven. A pessimistic neighbor would say, yeah, but if it keeps on raining, it's going to flood all the crops. We're going to lose everything. Well, the optimistic farmer wanted to do something to impress the pessimistic farmer. He was tired of his pessimism. So he went out and he bought himself a bird dog. World-class bird dog cost him a lot of money. Then he taught the bird dog to do things that no bird dog had ever done before. Then he invited his pessimistic farmer neighbor to come on a bird hunt with him, a duck hunt with him. So they got out in the lake and they were out on a boat and they were under a duck blind. And sure enough, the ducks came flying in, settled upon the water. And all of a sudden, they let their rifles go and several ducks began to fall from the sky. It was then that the optimistic neighbor said, hey, to his dog, go get him. And the dog jumped out of the boat, walked on the water, and then retrieved all the ducks. And the optimistic neighbor turned to the pessimistic neighbor and said, what do you think? And the pessimistic neighbor said, can't swim, huh? <laughs> now, that's the way it works, isn't it? Pessimists are always kind of about something to be down about, something to be negative about. Now, take that story and counter it with the story of Roger Crawford. Take a look at this. Hi, Sagebrush Church. This is Roger Crawford. I am thrilled to be with you today. I was born with a physical challenge that affects all four of my limbs from the elbows down and from the knees down. I have three toes on my right foot and a partially developed lower right leg, and I was unable to walk until I was five years old. My parents found a doctor that changed my life. He amputated the bottom part of my left leg, then reconstructed my knee. So today I'm wearing an artificial leg. You know, I grew up with the philosophy, everybody has challenges. Some challenges you can see and some you can't. I've always been very involved in athletics. In fact, I was a football player and during one particular game, I had recovered a fumble and I was running to the end zone. I was going to score a touchdown. It was my moment of glory, but then a young man on the other team caught up with me. He made one last ditch attempt to tackle me and he grabbed a hold of my artificial leg. That's right, it came right off. I wish you could have been there. I mean, the, it was, there was dead silence. People thought, I can't believe that I'm seeing this. Well, I hopped into the end zone. 
I remember the opposing coach, he went over the ref, he said, hey ref, what's the ruling on that? Ref's looking through the book, he said, I don't know, never had a player come apart in my life. He said, but his knee didn't touch the ground, I gotta give him a touchdown. I also played tennis. I hold on to the racket with two hands, and you may be wondering, okay, Roger Crawford, you've got three fingers and, and one leg and half a foot, how well do you play tennis? Well, recently I had the opportunity of participating in Serena Williams' tennis tournament that she holds for, uh, for charity events, and I wasn't the fastest, I wasn't the most powerful, but what I learned playing tennis was if you can hit the ball over the net one more time than the other person, you win the point. Today I spend a good part of my year traveling, speaking to a variety of different groups, and there was one a few years ago that I'll never forget, Walter Reed Army Medical Center, speaking to injured soldiers. There was a young man to the right of me who had catastrophic injuries, lost both of his arms and one of his legs. I went over to him, I said, I'm, I'm so inspired by your courage. And he looked down at his arms and he said, you know, I'm just excited to see what I can do with this. And then he told me that, you know, if you can look up, you can get up. See, he was a person of faith. He trusted in God's power, God's presence, and God's promises. So my friends, whenever we're faced with challenges or adversity, we can get up when we can look up. I am blessed to have been with you today, Sagebrush Church. Hope we can meet in person someday. I want, to thank, I want to thank Roger for putting that together for us. But life really does come down to a matter of your attitude, doesn't it? The way that you see things. I mean, you can spend your days complaining about your health, or you can be thankful that you're alive. You can spend your days mad that you have to go to work, or you can be thankful that you have a job. You can get all upset about your kids leaving one mess after another after another, but then you can be thankful that you have kids, right? I mean, you can be frustrated with all the housework that needs to be done, but shouldn't we be grateful for the mere fact that we have a home, that we have a roof over our head, that we have shelter when the storms come along our way? It's all a matter of our attitude. And the Bible says that our attitude is supposed to be the same of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to talk about an attitude. We're not going to talk about a positive attitude versus a negative attitude. It's going to go a little bit deeper than that. I want you to evaluate your attitude compared to the attitude of Jesus. And we're going to look at a couple of attitude busters, a couple of things that we can have in our life that will absolutely lead us to the most miserable life that we have ever had before. Now let me set this passage of Scripture up. It's found in Luke chapter 9. Here's this situation. The disciples are fighting once again. And if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that the overwhelming argument that the disciples have again and again and again is they want to know who can sit at Jesus' right and who can sit at Jesus' left. They want to know who's going to be the greatest disciple. They want the places and the positions of honor. Now, here's the question. Why does this come up so much? Why do the disciples care so much about who has the power, who has the position? Well, they're following Jesus. And Jesus is exhibiting some things that nobody else has ever exhibited before. His teaching is unbelievable. It's out of this world. Thousands of people flock. Every town that Jesus goes into, everybody wants to hear everything that Jesus has to say. And then Jesus is healing people. 
He's healing the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame. And just the other day, he brought a dead girl back to life again. That puts you in a whole nother category, doesn't it? And then Jesus, from time to time, talks about a kingdom that's going to come. That he's come to set up a kingdom. Not an earthly kingdom, but a kingdom that will last forever. That even the gates of hell itself will not prevail over his kingdom. Well, the disciples are like, wow, that's a lot of power right there. I want my piece of the power pie. And they're a little concerned they're not going to get the best piece. And why are they concerned? Because it appears that Jesus has favorites among the disciples. If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that there are three disciples that seem to have a little more time with Jesus than the other nine guys, right? There's three guys that kind of get a front row seat to some miraculous things that happen that the other guys don't get a front row seat to. For example, it's Peter, James, and John who get to see Jesus raise the dead girl back to life again. It's Peter, James, and John who get the opportunity to be up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah come down. And this is that famous passage where Peter says, hey, can I build three tabernacles? Kind of want to stay up on the mountainside here. And Jesus says, no, we got to go back down to the valley and do what needs to be done. But those three guys saw Moses, they saw Elijah, they heard the voice from the cloud saying, this is my son, listen to him. All the disciples know what's going on. Jesus is spending more time with Peter, James, and John. So they're a little bit nervous. They're looking at the pecking order and they feel like, whoa, I'm pretty far down on the bottom of the list. And so they begin to argue about which one of them is going to be the greatest. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you want to have a cruddy attitude, the first attitude killer is pride. Pride. Let me ask you a question. Dallas Cowboy football fans, let me talk to you for just a second. I'm not going to bring up the game. That, that must have been painful. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Why did Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson break up in the 90s? It was pride, wasn't it? For those of you who are too, too young to remember when the Cowboys were good, let, let, me, let me explain. There was a day in a fairy tale land where the Dallas Cowboys were a phenomenal football team. They were the juggernaut. They were the team of the 90s. How many championships would Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson had won for those teams? I mean, phenomenal stacked up teams. But you didn't win as many championships as you hoped that you would. What happened? Well, they fired your coach. They fired your coach after he won a Super Bowl. Why? Because Jerry Jones didn't appreciate the fact that he wasn't getting all the credit that he thought was due to him. And Jimmy Johnson wanted the credit as well. And so the two of them parted ways. And the rest is history. Let me talk to the Laker fans here for just a second. What broke up Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant? His pride. They each wanted the ball at the end of the game. They both wanted to be the star. They wanted the team to revolve completely around them. You want to have a cruddy attitude? Just make life about yourself. Just make sure that everything revolves around you and everything that you want, everything that you hope for, and everything that you need, that everybody just kowtows to you and they just cater to you. very wise person said, the, uh, when your life is wrapped up in yourself, it's the smallest present of all, isn't it? Because life is so much bigger than that. But that's what people do. They just surround themselves. It's called narcissism. Check it out. It's on Instagram and Facebook almost on a daily basis. <laughs> Let me tell you three things about prideful people. Prideful people are complainers. You ever been around a complainer? Nothing's ever good enough for 
They complain about the weather. They complain about their wife. They complain about their husband. They complain about their kids. They complain about the church. They complain about their preacher. How last week he was funny, but this week he's not. They complain about the fact that the band's not playing their style of music. They like the old style of music and not this new style of music, so they complain about that as well. They complain about the temperature in the room. They complain about anything and everything. That's all they ever do. Why are they complaining? Because it's not to their liking. And it's all about their preference. It's all about what they want. It's all about what they need. It's all about me, 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 me. Do you know anybody like that? Are you that one? Let me give you another one. Prideful people are control freaks. They want to control everything. They want to control everybody's opinion. They want to control everybody's thoughts. They want to make certain that everybody does exactly what they want to do. In their minds, there's two ways of doing things, their way and the wrong way. That's the way that it works. And so they expect you to see it the way they see it. They expect you to respond the way that they want you to respond. They put people on the spot and they make people feel foolish if they don't go along with what they want them to go along with. Let me tell you something else about prideful people. They're stubborn. Oh my gosh, they just click their little heels in. They just won't give up. They just stand there and they say, I'm not moving. This is my resolve. I have said this and that's the way it's going to be. And they won't give in. They won't compromise. They don't know how to have conversations. And when it's clearly that, that they're wrong, that they're in the wrong, that they won't go and they, they won't say, I'm sorry. They won't say, will you please forgive me? No, those words, they, they get stuck in their throat. That's, that's what happens with prideful people. Prideful people say, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm hot, you're not. You're good, but I'm so much better than you. That's what prideful people do. Well, look at what Jesus did here in this passage, verse 47. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing that they're fine over who is the greatest amongst them, he grabbed a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is the least among you, he's the greatest. What's Jesus' point? If, if you want to be great, if you want to be like Jesus, then you don't come to be served, but you come to serve. Isn't that what Jesus said he came to do? He said, listen, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, you see, it's just child. You, you, you should serve children. What, 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 what's, he, what's he mean by that, serve, serve children? Well, no one gets credit when they serve a child. You ever notice that? Who are some of the least paid people you know? They're teachers. And some people just see that. They're pouring their life in these kids to educate them and help them and mature them to be the, you know, the people that God wants them to be. And we say, well, they just work with kids. And they get three months off anyway. And their job's not that hard. It's not that difficult. Now, the world that we live in doesn't applaud teachers, do they? No, because all they're doing is they're just serving some kids. Who cares about that? Can I tell you something? God cares about that. Here's his point. Go serve someone that can't serve you back. Go serve someone. Go help someone along the way that can't come back and, and re reciprocate what you have done for them. Care about the needs of, of, a, of a little child. I love this quote. Somebody once said, the, the Almighty didn't act high and mighty. The one who was holy didn't act holier than thou. The only one who knew it all didn't act like a know-it-all. 
And the one who owned all the stuff never once strutted his stuff. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. Dave Stone's a preacher, and he tells the story about his Uncle Greg. Uncle Greg was born with cerebral palsy. He was also a quadriplegic. He's able to get around from place to place, point to point, because he has an electric wheelchair that aids him. But his speech is really, really bad. It's really gargled, and it's hard to understand. If you're not around him for a long period of time, you won't really understand any of the words that are coming out of his mouth. Well, well, Greg, when he was in his early 20s, had the opportunity of a lifetime. A person in the church, a young man by the name of John, uh, signed up to be a servant volunteer of a camp, thus making a space open for Greg to go to this camp that he'd always wanted to go to, never could find anybody who would want to go and spend that time with him. Well, John said, I'll volunteer. Greg will have time. Greg and I will have time of our life. So they signed up for the camp. Greg was so excited. They got to do all kinds of fun things the week of camp. And and John was right there by his side. For the next four days, 24 hours a day, it was John that took care of Greg. Every morsel of food that went into Greg's mouth, it was from John. Every drink that Greg got to have, it was from John. When it was time to go to bed, it was John that got Greg ready for bed. He would lay him down into his bed, and then he would blow up a mattress and put it right next to his mattress so he would be there for him if he needed anything all night long. It it was John that took Greg to the bathroom, that cleaned Greg up, that made sure that he got showered and bathed every single day, four straight days. It was John who got some of his friends together. And for the first time in the camp's history, they got some flotation devices together for for people with these these issues. And and these, these sweet kids got to swim For the very first time in their life. And Greg loved being out in that lake on those flotation devices. Getting the chance to swim for the first time in his life. Well, the fourth day comes and it goes. And now it's time for the finale of the camp. And and here's what they would do at this particular camp. They would bring up each, each child and each servant volunteer. And the servant volunteer would brag on the child. And share all the wonderful things that the child was able to accomplish. All the wonderful things that they were able to do together. And uh, then they would ask the camper one simple question. What was your favorite thing about this week's camp? And all of them had said the same thing on this particular day because none of them had gotten the chance to swim before. They all said swimming was their favorite thing about camp. Well, now it's John and Greg's turn, so they come up on the stage, and John begins to share all the fun things that they got to do together for the week of camp. And Then John said, you know, Greg got to swim. We've nicknamed him the fish. Because he's such a great swimmer. And he went on about the things that they did. And then he, he said, okay, Greg, it's, it's your turn. Now, again, the camp counselors were concerned because Greg's speech was so slurred, so, so gargled that it's hard to understand what he had to say. But in this moment in time, everybody understood what his favorite thing was. John said, hey, Greg, what was your favorite thing about camp this week? Greg took his twisted arm, put it above his head. He said, you. John said, oh, come on. Wasn't me. It was swimming. You're the fish. Tell him it was swimming. You. It had to be the food. Come on, we ate a lot of great food. Had a lot of great snacks. You. And it just hit me. You got anybody in your life that would point to you? I'm outside of your family. Anybody outside? 
They would say, because of you, because you sacrificed, because you gave, because you cared, you met a need that I had, you served me in a way, and I can't even reciprocate what you did for me. You weren't the kind of person who saw a need and then looked for somebody else to do what needed to be done. You didn't look to the left. You didn't look to the right. You said, oh, no, I'll do it. You became the hands and feet of Jesus. You had the attitude of Jesus. You're not around here to be served. No, you walk into a room, you're looking for opportunities to serve other people. Prideful people don't do that. It's all about them. They don't volunteer for stuff. They don't volunteer for that. They don't want to get dirty. They don't want to do that kind of junk. If it doesn't benefit them, if they don't get some kind of added benefit to themselves, they'll pass. So I got to ask you, is your attitude out of Christ? Are you in? Or are you out? Well, the passage continues. Look at what happens now in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy him? <laughs> They're such nice guys. Number two, you want to have a cruddy attitude, be a judgmental person. That, that'll ruin your attitude. That, that'll make you the polar opposite of who Jesus is. The Jewish people hated Samaritans. And the Samaritans hated Jewish people. And it was a, a thing that was passed on. It was taught to them to hate each other. And it had been going on now for almost 800 years when this happens. Let me give you a little history lesson. In 721 B.C., Sargon of Assyria came in and he ransacked Samaria. I mean, just beat the tar out of those people. And just as all kings did in the ancient times, he would take the best and the brightest young talent. He would take them back to his country of Assyria. He would indoctrinate them into the Assyrian way of doing life. And then he would leave behind the people that he didn't want. And then he would leave an occupying force of soldiers to make sure that the people who were left behind, they abided by the Assyrian law. They kowtowed to what the Assyrians told them to do. Well, over the course of time, guess what? Samaritans fell in love with Assyrians. Assyrians fell in love with Samaritans, and they began to intermarry. And so a self-respecting Jew, a pure-blooded Jew, didn't want anything to do with the Samaritan. They said they were half-breeds. They were half Samaritan, and they were half Assyrian, and they weren't worthy of the breath that was in their body. They didn't want anything to do with them. Now, now Jesus' disciples, for the most part, Jewish. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, you'll see, well, you won't see a whole lot about it, will you? Did you know in Matthew's gospel there's not one mention of a Samaritan? And in Mark's gospel, there's not one mention also. And in John's gospel, there's only one mention of a Samaritan. It was the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Remember her? She was married five times and currently living with a man. Not a very nice story to tell about a Samaritan, is it? Only Luke is the one who mentions Samaritans again and again and again and again about Jesus' encounters with them, Jesus' teachings about the Samaritan people. Why did Luke add all those stories, all those things that happened with Samaritans, and Matthew and Mark and John didn't? Well, the answer is easy. Luke wasn't Jewish. 
Let me explain to you how deep the hatred was for a Jewish person and a Samaritan and vice versa. When a Jewish person wanted to travel from Judea to Galilee, the easiest route was to go straight through Samaria. It wasn't a very long trip. It was about 70 miles. It would take you about two, two and a half days. Just go straight shot right through it. You'd get to your destination quick. But no self-respecting Jew wanted anything to do with Samaritan land. They wouldn't even put their foot in it. So you know what they would do? They would walk all the way around it, adding over 80 miles to their journey, adding three days. So Jesus says, you know, I'm going to walk through Samaria. I'm going to get to the quickest way. I'm going to see Samaritans. I want to hang out with those folks. And the Samaritans don't want anything to do with them. And that just ticks James and John off, who, by the way,'s nickname is Sons of Thunder. And they're mad, they're offended that Jesus has been treated this way and say, hey, Jesus, I'll tell you what, let me just call down fire from heaven and just get rid of them. Let's just nuke them. Hit the button, let's go. Because Jesus, these people aren't worth the breath that's in their bodies. They're unclean. Let me ask you a question. Who's on your list of unclean? Who, Who in your mind isn't worth the breath in their bodies? Something already popped in your head, didn't it? We live in a strange time right now, don't we? Country more divided than ever before based upon political party. Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your entire life? I just think it's so stupid. They act like one party is better than the other party. Both are led by sinners. You know that, right? I mean, both of them are jacked up. My dad used to tell me all the time, both are crooked. He's right. Anytime you put human beings in power, there's going to be some crooked going on. You understand what I'm saying? And if you don't get that, I'm offending you right now. I'm really, really sorry. But do you remember, I mean, you might remember a few elections ago, you know, uh, people got mad about, you know, people driving around with an Obama sticker. Or, Or they got mad about the W sticker, right? And and now you see people getting mad over the Biden sticker or getting mad over the Trump sticker, and it just divides us. Sometimes you find out someone's a Democrat, you find out somebody's a Republican, and you just immediately say, oh, I'm clean. (laughs) How was your Thanksgiving? I go, okay. Anybody broached politics, and you found out that maybe a family member or some boyfriend or girlfriend that one of your kids brought had different ideas and beliefs than you did and made you convulsed a little bit. (laughs) Unclean! Don't bring that unclean person back to my house again, okay? Maybe it's uh, people who have money. Because some of you, we've been taught, you know, hey, people who have money, they don't pay their fair share, they... They're arrogant, they're power-hungry, they're greedy, unclean. And there are rich people who some look down on poor people. Say, well, they have opportunity. Why didn't they do more with their life? Uh, I don't want anything to do with that. Unclean. How about racial prejudice? Certain group of people you can't stand because the color of their skin is a different tone than yours. I, I grew up in the Midwest. Never made any sense to me, but boy, it was a lot of racism, a lot of prejudice there. A lot of people 
not reaching out to people, you know, not even trying to be a friend with somebody because the, the tone of their skin was a different shade than theirs. My best friend in high school was, was a guy named Dalton Van, a black young man, great kid. Man, I love the Lord. Started going to my church, my all-white church. And I remember walking up and down the hallways with Dalton by my side and watching the adults look at him as if to say, what in the world's that kid doing here? Unclean. Unclean. You got a group of people in your mind? When you pull up to the corner and there's a homeless person there who's obviously struggling. I'm not, I'm not talking about the people that, you know, probably are ripping people off. I'm talking about the, this guy's struggling. Just drive on. Unclean. When, when you hear about a, a, a woman or, or a man who's been married, I don't know, three, four times, currently living with someone, what do we have here? Unclean. When someone gets a, a DUI, unclean. When you see someone walking with a turban on their head, or you're sitting in a plane and someone with the turban walks on, what do, what do you think? Oh, I better keep an eye on this one. He might have a bomb in his shoes. He needs to go back to his side of the world. He can blow something up over there. Unclean. Of course, the interesting thing is, is that we're really just one step away from being those people, right? Lose your job, lose your house, you become homeless, unclean. You become addicted to prescription drugs, you become addicted to alcohol, you get the DUI, unclean. You have the affair. Not only did you tear apart your family, but now your friends look at you as unclean as well. Jesus just didn't treat people that way, did he? No, he cared about people that nobody else cared about. He reached out to people nobody else would reach out to. And one of the things I've tried to teach around here is that every single person you ever locked eyes with matters to God, and they should matter to you as well. Every single person you've locked eyes with is someone that Jesus died on the cross for. So, so where are you at with this? Is your attitude that of Jesus Christ? So I want you to explain who we are about. In this place, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be jacked up. Look around. It's just jacked up people everywhere you see. It's okay. This is a place where we'll always share grace and truth. We'll always point to the true north of Scripture. And all of us are equal at the foot of the cross. Not a one of us is better than any of us. And we could care less about the color of your skin or your economic standing. We, we don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. 
I, I, I just wish we'd stop even using those terms. I, I just wish when people say, Who, whose side you on? You'd say, I'm on the Lord's side. That's what I wish we would say. I'm not any one or the other. I'm on the Lord's side. That's what I'm at. That's what I want. But this is a place where we get honest with God, where we lay down our burdens and we find peace, we find rest, we find comfort, we find support in each other. So here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. You ready? If you're a prideful person, here's your homework assignment. Go meet a need. Go find somebody who can't repay you. Go help somebody out of the jam. That small act of kindness will go so far, and it'll just absolutely break the back of pride. And you'll say, yep, by the grace of God, there goes me. God's blessed me so much, I just want to be a blessing to other people as well. And if you have a list of people that you think are unclean, that aren't worthy of the kingdom of God, that you look down upon as if they are less than, two things I want you to do. I want you to rip your list up. And I want you to lay it down at the foot of Jesus, and I want you to repent of that sin. And then the second thing I want you to do is get to know somebody else on your list. Have a conversation with them. Get to know them. Stop all the preconceived ideas. And just sit down with love. Because isn't that what Jesus said would be our distinguishing characteristic? He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. By the way that you love one another. May this be a place that's always marked by the love that God has given us. And may we allow his love to so flow through us. That people say those sagebrushers are the most loving people on the face of the earth. You, me, we are to have the attitude of Jesus. You in? Or are you out? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I hated working on this message. Because I just see so much garbage in me. And you've been so patient with me. I pray, God, that we would do some examination. That your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us would examine our hearts, examine our motives, examine the impact that we're making for you, examine how, how we're reflecting your attitude in the people that we see every single day. God, if we've weaved off to the left or off to the right, if, if we're not in perfect step with your good, pleasing, and perfect will, would you reveal it to us? Because I know something about the people who are in this room and the people who are watching at home. They want to honor you. They want to please you. They want to live for you, and they want to reflect you. So, Lord, if there's any place where we've gotten kind of wiggity-whack, Reveal it to us so that we can repent of that and we can make things right with you and with anybody else that we've heard along the way. Lord, we want your attitude. We want to love like you loved. We want to serve like you served. And we want to care like you cared. Help us, Lord, to do that for you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.